welcome to an unusual episode of Web3 Galaxy Brain. My name is Nicholas. Each week, I sit down with some of the brightest people building Web3 to talk about what they're working on right now. On February 17th, 2023, Context and Mint.Fun co-founder Wormemoji, aka Luke Miles, tweeted, can someone have me on a podcast to discuss how Blur used OpenSea's own protocol to defeat them on the royalties slash creator fees issue? I responded to the call, and a couple of hours later, Luke, John Palmer from PartyDAO, Jacob, the CEO of Zora, and I all got on Twitter spaces to talk about Blur, OpenSea, and the proxy war being fought over NFT royalties. This is a fantastic episode that covers a good chunk of Blur's history, discusses the battle between the two biggest NFT marketplaces on Ethereum, and provides insight into the thought processes of founders at the cutting edge of NFT product strategy who are jockeying for network effects. If you enjoy this in-depth technical and philosophical discussion, please scroll through the episode list and download something else that catches your eye. Subscribe to the show or join me for a live recording on Twitter at Nicholas with four leading ends. Would you like to speak to my audience? Buy a 30-second ad spot NFT at web3galaxybrain.com. I read all the ads live on air and include them in the podcast feed. My thanks to everyone who attended. I hope you enjoy the show. Worm has entered the chat. How's it going, man? Oh, it's great. Thanks for having me on such short notice. And I just saw that you were doing a different space. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess this is like your space marathon. Number right two, now. number two of the day. Yeah, I do every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern time, uh, do the Galaxy Brain show. And then, uh, I mean, I can't, I couldn't resist the opportunity. I just want to hear you talk about, because I've been following a little bit what's going on between Blur and OpenSea like everyone, but uh, especially the last week of post-airdrop drama, I didn't keep entirely up with it. So maybe, I don't know, is it worth starting with just like a summary or or how, how have you been thinking about this? I know this is like a psychological, this is like a cathartic thing for you that we're going to go through this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is just uh, me doing therapy. No, but I think that, yeah, I'm happy to kind of like just tell the whole story about what happened. I think that I'm excited to talk about it because I have been following this with like a very close level of detail. And I, I've been tweeting about it and deleting it because I realized no one cares. But I think that we're, we've kind of reached the dramatic head of like everything that's happened now that the airdrop has happened or there probably will be more drama, but I'm excited to kind of retell the story or explain why it's interesting to people. It seems like some people are interested. Uh, maybe we can get other people on stage too, like John or Jacob or whoever else yeah, is I'm here. Ju- I'm yeah. Just gonna, yeah, I'm just going to pull them out here. Let me make you co-host also. You know, it's, it's interesting what you say that nobody cares because it's like everybody can't stop bitching about royalties, the death of royalties. And yet it seems like almost nobody knows the actual details of the Machiavellian machinations between Blur and OpenSea that are, are driving the narrative for the past few months. It's like too hard to follow or something. It's too technical. I'm not sure well, why. Well, it, it's just like... You have to be a policy wonk to know what's going on. But yeah, do you? should we just start now? Should we wait for more people to join? I don't really know how Twitter spaces work in terms of like engagement and stuff. Bless your heart. Uh, I, uh, I invited John up. Let's see. People got to get on mobile phones. Let me see. Uh, I invited Jacob. Who else? Wouldn't it be crazy if we got Pac-Man or, uh, or uh, Zero Age or, <laughs> or whoever? I'm sure we could. <laughs> yeah, that would be crazy. I've kind of heard what like Pac-Man. I, I listened to like one of like the Pac-Man interviews, and I've listened to the, the bankless one. Also, um, no, I, it was like a Twitter Spaces, and I also listened to Devin from OpenSea Chat. And 
I don't blame the way they're talking about it at all, but it's also like the P- Blur and OpenSea have this very specific messaging that they're using. Uh, not that they're wrong, but they just have to tell their side of the story. Okay, so they have, they have to speak about it in a certain way, you're saying? Oh, yeah, just because like, you know, it's, it's marketing also. All, all this stuff is marketing. Yeah. But I'm happy to get started. I, I'm not trying to stall here. We got John. Hey, John, how's it going? Hey, happy Worm Wednesday. Awesome. I love... I, where are you, man? <laughs> I'm at the gym on the bike. Classic. I normally picture you at this time of day running around New York City. Yeah, usually I run every day or play tennis, but it's rainy and stormy right now, so I'm, I'm at a gym. When he's not drinking a Starbucks. All right, we got John. I invited Wilson. I thought maybe Wilson would be fun. Let me know if there's anyone else. And I invited Jacob too. I think we could probably launch into it, but if anybody has uh, sage thoughts, please request. I would just want to say, if you don't pay your creator royalties, please raise your hand and we'll be banning you from the room. (laughs) Just do it now. It's better if you just do it now because if we wait and find out later... That's just really not going to be good for anybody. Yeah, so uh, Reservoir did make a tool where you can see your creator royalty debts or creator fee debts. So I would recommend... I don't have a link handy, but I would recommend going there and paying up right now. Damn, all right. I got to check if I made a mistake somewhere. I I did use Blur a little bit along the way. So, geez, I'm going to get banned from my own room. Okay. We will be checking this. Just so you know, we will be checking this. All right, we got to share the link. Someone's got to pin that that uh, that link to the reservoir thing. Okay, cool. Well, I'll just jump in because I, I feel like we're I, I'm stalling a little bit, but it was great uh, to introduce yourself, John. I'm sorry I didn't mean to not introduce you, but I'll just I'll just hop into like where the drama began, or drama, you know, not, maybe not drama, but where the story began. So uh, I believe it was October when Blur launched. You know, Blur uh, launched marketing themselves as a marketplace for pro traders. Very cool. And Blur kind of builds on like their initial feature set builds on Gem and Genie's ability to sleep, sweep floors and aggregate from other marketplaces. I don't believe that they launched initially with uh, ability to list NFTs, but they, they quickly added that as sort of their own place for liquidity. But the thing that they did launch with, I believe, once they kind of came out of beta was they launched with a promise of an airdrop. And so you could go to Blur and based on your historical trading activity, open boxes and the boxes would be, you know, rare or common or legendary in status. And Blur promised that these boxes would correlate to future rewards, including a Blur token. And it's important to mention the airdrop because the airdrop was a major part of it incentivizing people to check out Blurred in the first place. And uh, I think is a big reason why uh, they have market share uh, in this current moment. But I also think the thing that Blur had, which was pretty cool, is even compared to the products it was building off of, like uh, Gem and Genie, it had a very responsive real-time trading interface, which for new NFT launches was really important. As someone who like mildly trades NFTs, it was kind of impossible to use Gem or Genie or OpenSea for a collection that had a lot of trading activity because the floor would floor would just get sniped out from under you and like all your transactions would fail. Anyway, when Blur launched selling NFTs, 
the thing that they did, which kind of was copying other or you know taking strategy from other marketplaces such as Looks Fair X two Y two, is they made creator fees or creator royalties completely optional. You could when you list an NFT for sale, you could type in the fee amount. It was just like a text field, and you could do stuff such as like you could say, "I want one ETH for this NFT." And I don't want to pay any fees or royalties. Oh yeah, by the way, Blur had zero fees and OpenSea up until today had 2.5% marketplace fee, uh, which the marketplace fee and the creator royalties are two different things. But anyway, so Blur was paying, or Blur had no fees, OpenSea had fees. So you could, you could do something like when you listen to T on Blur saying, uh, saying, okay, I'll, I want one ETH for this NFT, but if it sells an OpenSea, actually make the price higher. So it's like what, you know, calculate the net. So it's if there's a creator fee, you know, bake that in. So make it a higher price, but I'll get one ETH if it sells on OpenSea. So this was also like a part of their strategy, which is, okay, you could still, to traders, like the proposition is, you don't have to worry about listing your NFTs on just Blur and maybe you miss out if someone only uses OpenSea. You can actually just still get low fees on Blur and get the advantage of being seen on OpenSea. So you could sweep NFTs across marketplaces and be seen on OpenSea. And, so, and we should maybe, maybe be clear that the fees are paid by the seller. If you list an NFT for sale, you're the one who's going to pay the fee to OpenSea, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, or paid by the buyer in the form of, you know, the seller now has an option to list it for a higher price on marketplaces that do have fees, right? Sure, because yeah. Blur introduced this interesting, you alluded to it there, but they introduced this visual feature where it would increase the price of your listing on OpenSea, the exact amount that OpenSea would charge in fees, including also what are now called creator fees or what are often referred to as creator royalties. Yeah, exactly. So this like UI thing actually led to, with the, also with the promise that Blur would you know give future benefits to people selling on Blur down the line, uh, led to you know, I, I think some anxiety on OpenSea. And so Blur also kind of did this like three phase part of their airdrop, which was very interesting, which was the first phase was before they had the marketplace. They just gave people rewards just for being NFT traders. The second phase, I believe, was more tied to buy, were you buying NFTs on Blur? And the third phase was were you providing liquidity in the form of asks on Blur? to uh, like in terms of placing offers and locking them up in their contract and buying NFTs via the form of offers. Just trying to give some background on how Blur works. I can talk about the specifics now of like what, what's next here. But the, the cool thing that or the interesting thing that happened next was once Blur started getting decent market share and actually after kind of making these promises, Blur in terms of where people were buying NFT from was looking like it was getting reasonably high market share. The, so most of the liquidity in terms of the items listed were still on OpenSea, but more, more volume was going from Blur's interface to Blur's own market and OpenSea on some days than OpenSea. And this also kind of culminated with the Art, Globber, Art Gobbler's release, which was, I think, the first day that like, Blur really started to flip OpenSea in terms of volume. Right. And, and maybe for context also, like Gem had become an enormous force in a, a huge amount of the volume of trading was happening on Gem. Gem sold to OpenSea for $150 million or something like that. And then development on Gem seemed, seemed to slow down quite a bit. And Blur just stormed in and started eating up all of the liquidity, all the volume. 
and our gobblers yeah. was, was indeed the culmination point. I remember people were making jokes that it, because it's a paradigm funded, Blur is paradigm funded and gobblers was made by paradigm. People were making the connection, obviously not relevant. But that was kind of the moment where things started to shift like, oh, wow, Blur is actually starting to control the narrative. Yeah, exactly. And also, I think um, Paradigm has invested over $100 million in OpenSea and led Blur's seed round and created Art Gobblers. It's, it's kind of funny how like these things work that way. Um, I, I imagine OpenSea maybe is a little bit annoyed with Paradigm for that. But I mean, I think Blur would have come out anyway. So yeah, exactly. So around the Art Gobblers release, and I think that's, uh, that's when OpenSea, I think, really started to move here in terms of turning, like doing something about Blur. And so I think what OpenSea did here, their strategy was just, okay, Blur is getting traction because they're not paying creator fees or making creator fees optional. And it turns out when you look at the data, when you make creator fees optional, nobody pays them. Uh, Like, that's just the way the market works, I guess. And maybe in terms of UI, we should explain that in the Blur interface, it pre-filled the like EIP 2981 style creator fees that contracts declare and that people can, marketplaces can query in order to get them or royalty registry is like an interface on top of that, whatever, the details don't matter so much. It would pre-fill in the blur interface those royalties, but it would allow you to edit the value and set it to zero. So you could opt out of paying those royalties. Uh, Yeah. And actually this is, that's a really good point. So blur was pulling in the, you know, desired creator fee from these on-chain decentralized solutions. It's actually worth noting in that until very recently, OpenSea did not support any of these royalty solutions. If you wanted to be paid for royalties on OpenSea, you actually had to like make an OpenSea account, set it in their interface. It was a completely off-chain solution. And I think that I want to bring this up because this matters later uh, in this saga, because I think that actually this might have been part of one mistake or misstep that if OpenSea had architected things slightly differently, it might have helped them down the road. But anyways, yes, that's completely correct. And, and 2981 came from, just for context, Zach Burke's Vexicats, who I think is the known origin founder and was not something that came from, yeah, totally different. For like All of the OpenSea royalties are handled off-chain uh, in OpenSea database, not related to anything on-chain in the smart contracts of the NFTs at all. I don't know if it's worth going into royalty registry at all. It seems like maybe not, not a necessary side quest. It's a bit of a tangent, but like the short of it is like there has existed for some time now a way to get royalties on chain. It was kind of interesting when you're making an OpenSea competitor, because even if you wanted to make a royalty respecting marketplace, most projects didn't like do these on chain royalties because OpenSea didn't respect them. So you would be kind of forced to like get it from OpenSea somehow. Like it was actually not even simple to make a royalty respecting marketplace in the world where most volume was on OpenSea. And the royalties were then like being processed, you know, just as part of like off-chain order creation. But yeah, so OpenSea makes their first step to uh, compete with Blur here, which is the first step that they do is they announce operator filter. I want to say about a week after the Art Gobbler's uh, sort of volume really started to dominate on Blur. And... Um, the operator filter, Nick, please like stop me uh, if you want to like explain this in a more clear way. No, no, please go for it. I mean, I, I think frankly, how many people do you think know what operator filter is in the world? <laughs> <laughs> Probably like, you know, yeah. 150 yeah. people, 400 people, <laughs> not, not a lot more than that. And uh, operator filter, the name is, doesn't reveal exactly what it does exactly. 
But there, there was, I guess maybe for a little bit of context, people were talking when Pseudoswap when Pseudoswap came out, everyone realized that NFTX had never been honoring royalties, creator royalties, because Pseudoswap didn't. And Pseudoswap made a big point of advertising on their front page, I think 0.5% uh, fees total or something like that. The point was that they were not going to honor uh, creator royalties, regardless of where it was said on OpenSea or 2981 standard that had come out in the previous year or on royalty registry. They weren't going to pay any attention to it. And then this started the conversation again about you know, what, what's happening with royalties? Are royalties going away? And when Blur came out, the conversation reached like a fever pitch. So Operator Filter was the answer to that from OpenSea. Yeah, correct. Yeah, to Nick's point, uh, that's very important, is like there were marketplaces before Blur, X2Y2, LooksRare, Pseudoswap, NFTX, that all attempted various forms of not respecting creator royalties to get market share. But because of a number of reasons, including like, airdrop strategy and product quality. Blur was the first marketplace that like really used this as a threat to OpenSea. And I think OpenSea thought that like, you know, this was actually a good thing that kept people on OpenSea. So they created the operator filter. The operator filter, the easiest way to explain it is it's a piece of code that you put in your NFT contract that basically asks a contract that OpenSea controls, that's like a registry of banned NFT marketplaces. And so if you put the operator filter code in your NFT contract, it, before like being transferred, it asks, hey, is this an NFT marketplace attempting to move me? And if so, just like revert the transaction. That's like how the operator filter works. And OpenSea, uh, when they released the operator filter, it was super controversial because they announced the operator filter, but they also said, and by the way, you have one week to put this in new NFT contracts after like a week from today, which is just an arbitrary date they came up with. And after that date, um, if you don't ban other marketplaces, and I guess the thing I, I didn't mention is the operator filter bans every marketplace like Pseudoswap or NFTX and importantly Blur that wasn't respecting creator royalties. So if you don't you know, include this code that bans the royalty disrespecting marketplaces, after this date, we will make your royalties optional too. Nicholas, I think you did a great job. I'll just I'll say it again, just in case people didn't follow. But basically, when you, uh, if uh, you integrate the operator filter into your contract, before you transfer a token or set an approval or do any of the fun things you can do with an NFT, moving it around, the operator filter code will execute at the beginning of whatever upset approval or uh, transfer you actually transfer from that you execute. And it will check, is the recipient of this or the person who's being approved one of the banned marketplace contract addresses? If so, don't allow this transaction to happen. And I guess one slight correction is it, OpenSea created the thing, but ownership was in some sense passed to this creator ownership Corey. research institute, Cori or C-O-R institute.co if you want to check it out. Just like a consortium of Zora and Foundation, Super Rare, Nifty Gateway, Manifold, OpenSea, and they're essentially they, they do control it, but they're like an alliance of marketplaces that wanted to find a way to maintain royalties in a world where the like game theoretic resting point would be that royalties would go away. They kind of banded together to control this list of which are the banned contracts, which are the banned marketplaces. Yeah. Great explanation. And I was going to get to Corey. It's just so much to explain. 
Uh, hi, Jacob. We also have uh, <laughs> someone from Corey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob, if you want to interrupt, uh, please do. Yeah. No, keep going. I feel like uh, Lime's on a roll. We should, we should keep letting him go for it. <laughs> totally. Let the man cook. <laughs> yeah. And I think it remains to be seen, especially after today, how decentralized Corey really is, or if it's just like, OpenSea, I mean, I don't know how much Jacob can say. I think we can even get to that later because, but yeah, I want to keep going here. But yeah, definitely please interrupt uh, anyone if uh, there's something I'm missing. Yeah, so this immediately caused a bunch of controversy like from like a bunch of people. Some people said that, you know, this code that uh, is like controlled by a centralized organization or organizations like makes NFTs like, you know, like maybe too centralized. A lot of people were upset because OpenSea was saying, we're not going to pay creator royalties unless you include this code. They seem to do this without really contacting anyone in the space. So like popular uh, platforms people, creators were using to like create NFTs such as Zora or Manifold were like not like, they, you know, they didn't get a chance to like update their code, their platforms to the, now the support this was new code. Very, very bad at first. When they announced this thing, there was, all, there was a Twitter thread that was all, barely coherent uh, that announced this I- I- incredible change. And I believe this is specifically, they said that they would continue to honor royalties for contracts deployed before that that ha- didn't have operator filter. But going forward, if you didn't include operator filter, they wouldn't care if you used EIP, ERC-2981 or any other form of royalty. They would only pay attention to the operator filter. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a very important detail too. So they essentially OpenSea creates this arbitrary cutoff where you know you need to follow our rules and ban our competitors that are not paying royalties after this date, but before this date. Because the other thing about all these like NFT contracts is like Bored Apes, for example, like they have a royalty. I believe the royalty is pretty low. It's, it's either two point five or five percent. But Bored Apes can't go back and add this code into their contract. Like it's an immutable smart contract. Like most NFT contracts are not upgradable. You can't just go back and like upgrade it to do this operator filter stuff. So they're also in a tough spot too, because it's not as if they could take the NFT contracts that have royalties with the most volume and ask them to include this code. Because that's just that's not even a possibility uh, with the blockchain. But yeah, so and it was also the other thing about the thread I thought was really funny was. In the first thread they make, they didn't mention Blur by name. Uh, I think that they were maybe even a little worried because their Twitter account has a lot of followers of like talking about Blur or sending them more traffic. But yeah, it, it it was very bizarre. And the short of it, there was like a little bit of back and forth, but in the interest of like trying to get to the interesting thing I want to talk about, the the short of it was they they did this, they turned they started not paying out royalties. And a lot of creators didn't see the Twitter thread that was published only a week before. And like projects got delayed or canceled. I believe um, Adam Bob Squad, they were going to drop their NFT on the primary marketplace for OpenSea. Like they're going to do a new NFT drop on OpenSea. And they got so mad at OpenSea, they like canceled the drop on OpenSea and like I think did it either on their own or with, with another platform. So the thread was very confusing. Most people didn't understand it because they spoke in this very like policyful language. And then they made the change a week later and a lot of, it caught a lot of creators like completely blind and none of the platforms like Manifold or Zora were updated to even like include this code. And which by the way, like, you know, this is Solidity code. Like you would imagine like 
a lot of the stuff gets audited or stuff. A week is not enough time for you to like get your code audited. Uh, I recall like, being particularly yeah. worried like, okay, so let's say I put this operator filter in. Does it mean that like uh, the big concern was this is DRM for NFTs. It eliminates the essential property of NFTs for a lot of people, which is that it's yours and you can move it as you want. Aside from the dark reality that on Ethereum, it's actually all happening inside of a contract that you don't control. But it wasn't clear if you would be able to turn it off. I guess, I think in the end, the code does allow you to, an NFT that does integrate it can turn it off at some point if they want, right? Yeah, to OpenSea's credit, the default code that they suggest lets you change like the source of truth from the default one to a different one, uh, lets you turn it off, etc. So that is all possible with like the default way that they recommend. But yeah, it was there were a lot of questions. And the short of answer is, they had this live for a couple of weeks and there was so much confusion that they decided to postpone the launch of this new policy, which was like the policy being like, you have to have this code to get any creator royalties. They, they postponed it, I believe, until like January 5th or January 4th. Like, I think it was like the first Monday or Tuesday of this year. And am I missing great, anything? Great time uh, to do a policy change. <laughs> right yeah. after the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which like... I think like they also had kind of the same effect again, by the way, of like, you know, a creator deploys a contract the day after and they're like, why can't I set a royalty on OpenSea? Or like, why can't I get royalties? The other thing that they did announce uh, that they did start doing what in starting in January is they also started respecting, I think partially the 2891 uh, registry. So they started respecting on-chain royalties. You no longer have to like, make an OpenSea account to get royalties. You have, but you do have to like, if you want uh, royalties that aren't optional, you have to then like, you know, integrate the operator filter. Sorry, and, wait, can, can I, I, think yeah. we need, I think we need to take a step back because we're very in this shit. ERC-2981, the NFT royalty standard, which is the most standardized way to do things, is just a read function that marketplaces can call if they want to find out how much royalties should be owed if this is the price that's being paid for the token. But there's no obligation. This is the, the state of affairs before Operator Filter was. Market, marketplaces like OpenSea, if they wanted to, could go check how much royalties they should be paying to the creator. But there is no requirement because at the end of the day, the marketplace is just wrapping a basic transfer from. It's not, the NFT is not aware that it's being traded. Uh, when it, when OpenSea moves it uh, as the result of a, a successful trade. So the royalties are not implicit to NFTs as much as they were sold that way in like 2020 or something. Yeah, that, that's exactly correct. Yeah, I mean, an NFT is just like a way of assigning ownership. You, you know, the only affordance for marketplaces is you can delegate who someone who can transfer it for you. But uh an NFT you know, is form, really just yeah. a, a list of numbers and every number corresponds to an address and the contract lets you change which address. And an NFT is a very simple thing, really. Even the metadata is optional. Yeah. Anyway, okay, sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. No, no, that, that's, that's good. So just to kind of like, yeah, take in the interest of taking a step back. So beginning of this year, here's like the state of affairs. Uh, royalties are optional on Blur. OpenSea says if you... You know, starting like the first week of this year, we, uh, if you don't include our royalty blocking code, we will, our, our code that blocks other marketplaces from trading this NFT, we will not, we'll make your royalties optional by the seller. That's what uh, OpenSea's state of policy was. And one thing that happened, I believe, actually 
in between the first announcement of their uh, operator filter and this that I actually think is kind of interesting is Blur came out with a with an announcement that they would start enforcing royalty collection on collections that have enforced this operator filter code. Although, of course, since the operator filter blocks Blur, they forked it and they made their own operator filter that has all the other marketplaces except for Blur. And then they Blur publicly asked, hey, they're saying, hey, you know, we will respect this operator filter policy just like you, but can you take us off the list? And OpenSea made a Twitter thread saying no. <laughs> but wait, they, they, <laughs> they said that they would, Blur said that they would comply with creator fees? Well, sort of. So Blur said we will comply with creator fees for collections that have you know, implemented, chosen to implement this operator filter DRM. But we, we're, there was still going to be the same for the long tail of NFT collections, which at this point, OpenSea was still enforcing mandatory royalties on. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I guess one piece of context that we didn't provide here is that there are a lot of people who are traders who feel that it is not fair that they have to pay 5% or 10% to some PFP collection creator like three years after the thing happened. And those people, whatever, collection creators of collections that people are fed up with, don't deserve the this like forever on any kind of volatility in that collection's price. So even when something very bad happens, they're making money because people are selling them whatever they're selling out of them. So it can be it can be a kind of toxic relationship also. It's not always virtuous or it's it, at least some people feel some have feelings that sometimes the application of royalties is not it has like rug vibes almost. It's it's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean anyway, yeah, so Blur tried to comply. They're like, "Okay, we'll play ball." Uh, for collections that block marketplaces that don't respect royalties, we'll pay royalties, but we're still going to, you know, for like the board apes of the world, which existed before this, you know, new policy discussion, we're still going to make royalties optional. And royalties, uh, and then Blur, uh, you know, publicly announced this and OpenSea came out a couple of days later basically saying, no, like, <laughs> we're not going to take you off the block list, the, the, the default operator filter block list, unless you like have the same policy as us. And so uh, it was just kind of interesting because, you know, Blur tried to like kind of get on a similar page to OpenSea and OpenSea just was like, nope, not, not happening. Okay. And I think that was, that happened at some point in December, I believe. But yeah, so we're in January, the feature goes live. And I think like at some point near the mid or end of January, we're actually starting to see high profile NFT collections release that are including this code. The one I remember that like was maybe the first to have the operator filter was uh, Yuga's do key dash. Is that what it's called? I believe uh, a, a sewer pass. Uh, it's like a pass for their NFT collection. So very notably, this pass was one of the higher profile things to include it, and you could not trade it on Blur because they had this code in it. So Blur, I think you know, in this quest because. Blur has now announced at this point that they're going to have an airdrop on Valentine's Day, and Blur is very hungry for market share. They're, they've launched their bids feature, which like allows you to you know make on-chain offers to buy an NFT or deposit ETH and make an off-chain offer. Actually, and actually, like Blur is continuing to, to eat market share away from OpenSea, kind of despite all of this royalty 
you know, this public spat. <laughs> and I think that like my analysis is someone just sitting on the sidelines here is like OpenSea is kind of rapidly eroding creator trust while not like losing their footing in the marketplace. This is like, I realized that like even getting to the really interesting thing that uh, Blur did with Seaport is like taking a long time to get there. But uh, I hope this is interesting to people. I'm finding it interesting. Uh, but if you want to skip ahead yeah. to anything, feel free. Or I don't know if Jacob wanted to say anything. Or John also. I don't know if you're still at the gym. <laughs> Let the man talk and then, yeah, we'll see where we go. I think getting to the Seaport part is probably... The right, yeah, word. the right stuff to talk yeah. about. Yeah, so I feel like that, that that was really a judo move. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this is, I, this I is do, where it got very fascinating. Okay, go ahead, John. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I can wait till the end, but couldn't you say, like, you just kind of, if you really wanted to simplify what's happening there in the dynamic, one marketplace being OpenSea slash Seaport is trying to basically defend their fee capture by appealing to one audience, which is the creators, which matters more for primary sales and like mints, basically. But Blur, by removing the fees, is basically appealing to traders, both buyers and sellers on secondary. And that since secondary volume basically dwarfs mint volume, that like one of those options is kind of obviously more strategic, just looking at the incentives of like, Everyone wants to make more money and pay less money. Maybe you could say this for the end, but I feel like yeah. uh, this has all been like pretty predictable. Not to try to like flex or something, but I feel like the whole the whole thing at the very beginning before all this started, when people were like, "You can't enforce on-chain royalties," and then like kind of the midwit curve meme was like everyone trying to prove that you could. But I feel like we're basically just finally seeing that you can't, which I feel like felt kind of obvious at the beginning. But I, I don't know that. I don't know. Is operator filter dead? Is that I didn't feel. I, that's not my feeling. I'm thinking about operator okay, filter. Yeah. I mean, uh, well, is it dead now? What What's the consequence? Actually, it's not really about dead or alive. It's about market share or like amount of volume in the market passing through the operator filter versus not. And I feel like it's trend. It's going to like trend to zero. But I I, I could be wrong. But uh, I feel like in crypto, like economic incentives went out against almost anything so far. Yeah, but if economic incentives are aligned with what is popping, and what if popping chooses to have operator filter, then like Manifold has operator filter. I, I don't know if Zora does in the creator stuff yet, but I guess yeah, yeah. we've had it. We we had it within like a week of it being announced. Damn, um, do you find people using it? Seen, uh, no, not as much as you'd think. No. <laughs> yeah, but I think what John's saying is quite right, and maybe the underrated dimension to the kind of competition here too is the UX as well. Like I think the fact that Blur has gone deep on the trader focused UI and like real-time features and you know basically reducing the size of the JPEGs to like 12 pixels by 12 pixels feels like an underrated part of the discussion here too. And I feel like it's revealed like just how trader heavy the secondary market share, like how trader heavy the secondary market is. And that I think like Maybe in a lot of people's minds, OpenSea was kind of seen as this more consumer-focused. That like that was as that was as trade-heavy as you could get. And then Blur has like just revealed this whole other end of the spectrum from like a user experience standpoint. And of course, the the savings on like uh, royalties is like a huge part of that incentive to move across. But now I feel like OpenSea is kind of at a point where they have to choose which direction and on the spectrum they want to go. Do they want to go like way more consumer way more primary or like start to go more kind of like degen and aesthetic and experience. 
and actually compete on the UX front too. One other piece, and then I want to let Worm finish his story so we don't fuck up this segment of the recording where you just get to listen to Worm's whole narrative. But uh, I will say, just to remind for a comparison at the end, there's a similar argument happening right now with Bing versus Google search, where there's maybe this like choice between like let competitor like AI enabled competitors cannibalize your market or just do it yourself to defend market share. And I think that's what's important that Worm keeps calling out as like a first class citizen of this whole thing is like what you're competing for, what Blur's like main goal is is market share. And it seems like uh, that that should maybe be top of mind. Like if you could go back, maybe you would just say like fuck it, we're just removing all the fees to just absolutely maintain our dominant market share. But uh, we'll come back to that later. They have been making a killing this whole time. 2.5% on everything. Yeah, I think think OpenSea made more than a billion dollars in revenue last year um, on chain. But anyhow, yeah, thank you for that analysis, both Jacob and John. And I actually, it's interesting to me, Jacob, that you said a lot of people aren't adopting the operator filter on, on your tools. But okay, so... To kind of get to where I think the story got really interesting and it like kind of broke my brain of like, like what happened. Uh, I think it's just supremely clever is. So I think this happened at about the end of January, roughly speaking, two weeks before the blur airdrop. All of a sudden, you're able to list collections like uh, Dookie Dash Super Pass on blur. And like it just works. Uh, royalties are enforced, so like you know the whatever the creator fee was set is uh, set, but you can list them on Blur. And you know this nothing changed in terms of the operator filter. So uh, what happened? Well, it turns out that you know OpenSea uses their protocol Cport. Cport is a very complicated protocol, or like you know maybe configurable is a better way of saying it. It's very configurable. You can kind of set up an order on Cport to do whatever you want. It's 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 almost like you can program each order to like say, hey, I want this NFT and then send money to these places. So like a normal Cport order might say, okay, I want to sell this NFT for five ETH. And then the, that five ETH, you know, some of it goes to me for, you know, because uh, I own the NFT. Some of it goes to OpenSea and some of it goes to the creator. And all of this happens when you kind of create the listing on OpenSea, like the message you sign in your wallet to list something on OpenSea, you're signing a Cport order that uh, later can get filled. Like that's that's how Cport is set up. Well, Cport is an open protocol, as OpenSea likes to remind people. So what Blur started doing was they just started creating Cport orders for if a collection was blocked on Blur, they just started creating a Cport order for it. Now, the thing about Cport is like, royalties or even like the OpenSea platform fee, that's not baked into the protocol. That's baked into the order. So like <laughs> what Blurs did was they said, okay, great. So you want to list this, you'll list it on Cport. You know, Blur will take care of this order. 0% goes to OpenSea. We'll still pay the creator royalty and you can still now buy this on Blur. And it's kind of interesting because what that means is it, it hurts OpenSea because it means that like maybe the cheapest or the most liquidity might not be on OpenSea. It'll be on Blur. But it helps Blur because they can still, you know, have people come to their site and, you know, list things directly on Blur. So uh, maybe I should just pause here because I, I just think that that's like a pretty interesting like development because 
they kind of got past the the uh, the operator filter altogether. And the other thing I want to add before, like maybe letting uh, Nicholas interject, is the fact that they were even paying creator fees in this moment where they're using Seaport was completely up to Blur and their choice because the re- it was just they they decided to enforce that in their UI. Nothing about Seaport pays royalties or even pays OpenSea. And you could imagine a world where, hey, maybe Seaport had creator royalties baked into its protocol. We're like, hey, you can't trade an NFT on Seaport without paying the on-chain royalties. But since OpenSea never until very recently supported on-chain royalties, they didn't build it that way. <laughs> That's actually like very like important for what happens next. You have anything to add, Nicholas? Yeah, go. Well, okay. there's one, one detail that um, it's like, OpenSea can't upgrade that pro- like that instance of the protocol. So it's one way deployed too. And they can't obviously block their own protocol. I feel like Well, they can like do really- one thing, uh, Jacob, which is when you list something for sale on OpenSea and like and Blur, you're not granting Seaport directly access to your NFTs, you're granting the OpenSea conduit. So like for example, the before Seaport had OpenSea, they used this thing called the Wyvern protocol. It kind of is dead now because like the, all the orders that were previously approved no longer work because OpenSea can revoke its conduit. So OpenSea can kind of turn off old versions of Seaport because they can just say that the, the, the intermediary contract that you're actually approving to like approve your orders, they can revoke its access to that. And I think that Blur was not asking for new approvals, but just using the, the conduit function. So what, what I'm saying is if, if OpenSea really wanted to block this specific version of Seaport, what they could do is revoke the conduit so no longer anyone's approved and then add it to their operator registry. So they can do some stuff, but yeah, it would still take a new version of Seaport. Anyway, yeah, so fast forward to the Blur airdrop happening. Blur's gaining more and more market share. I think Blur is regularly having days where they're doing more volume than OpenSea, just in terms of trades initiated from the Blur UI. Although OpenSea still, I think even to this day, has most of the liquidity. But I also saw some analyses saying for like the top 10 collections, Blur is like eating their cake, mostly because of this whole issue of royalties. Like Ward Apes or whatnot, which have a royalty, like are getting trade on Blur overwhelmingly. So, so the Blur airdrop happens on Tuesday. And I think... Somewhere around this time, it's this is not like well known. If someone knows, I'd love to know. Somewhere around this time, Blur decides to change the way that they're interacting with these seaport orders, where royalties now go from being mandatory if they're using a seaport order on Blur. Now royalties are optional. So now, and this is what prompted what happened today. Orders on uh, Blur are essentially like, it, this is not what OpenSea set out to do at all because now Blur has optional royalties. They're using Seaport, OpenSea's own protocol. And uh, they, yeah, they, they have the best of both worlds, more or less. So that was kind of how we got to, all of this is why we got to where we are today, which is more or less OpenSea adopting all of the same royalty policies as Blur and dropping their fee. Because... Blur was clever enough to use OpenSea's own protocol against them, just like as more or less a vampire attack to steal market share, because that's what Blur cares about. It, John was very right; it's it's about market share. I, I think I kind of said everything I need to say about this, but I'm happy to answer questions or clarify anything. But 
that's that's my understanding of what happened. What would you say the next three months looks like then? So it's like today they've announced zero percent fees for a limited period of time. How long do you think that limited period of time is? And then if you're in the another detail here too is that Blur doesn't have eleven fifty five yet. OpenSea does. That actually seems to be a big gap in the Blur offering at the moment, and it has seen growing like growing market share in the past like couple of months. But yeah, if you're in the driver's seat of either either camp now, like what would you what would you be doing, and where do you think this actually shakes out? Yeah, I think one part of the meta here is like OpenSea, along with kind of everyone else, was waiting to see what would happen when the airdrop happened. There was some people, I talked to a lot of people in the space, like traders, VCs, uh, other you know, uh, people in NFTs. And a lot of people thought that, hey, after February 14th, volume will just kind of like rapidly come off a cliff as you know, people claim their airdrops that they farmed for the last three months. Uh, but that's not what happened. I don't, it think seems, it's, I don't think it's yeah. people were using it because of the farming. They weren't, it wasn't about farming for most people. It was because it was a better marketplace. And they're actually very good at product and they're very fast. And I agree with all of that. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's impressive. Yeah. I, I was trying I, to get the cynical VC look, that's to be clear. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I wouldn't be the first person to bring up this idea, but I think people often refer to airdrops in crypto as being like a Web3 equivalent of your CAC or your customer acquisition cost. So, you're basically even hinting at the airdrop. It's the initial reason you kind of you pay or, or promise to pay people to initially check out your product, and from that point on, you survive or die on the strength of the product alone. So I think that's basically what happened. Where the the promise of the airdrop was get people to check it out. They actually won over a lot of consumers, and then the airdrop at that point is a uh, you know following through on that promise. Not necessarily uh, the only reason people are using the product at that point. Oh yeah, to be clear, I, I never really intended to say that. I think but no, I, no, sorry, I, I'm I, not, I'm I, I also didn't intend to say that, that you yeah. intended to say that. Yeah. I'm just kind of laying out like uh what I think happened. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. I, I was just saying I think OpenSea and other people were waiting to see if like the airdrop would actually change meaningfully like the market dynamics. And I don't think that's what happened at all. And I think it's because of the reasons you both are laying out, which is it's actually a better product for a lot of trading use cases. And they just rolled yeah. out. I haven't played with it yet, but they have UI for collectors now. When you log in, you're presented with: Are you a trader or are you a collector? And collector has bigger art and whatever. They'll like product. They'll like Walmart us into it being a better front end because, like, the reality is, for a long time, OpenSea. I mean, the metadata stuff was not great. The refreshing metadata, the standard that they laid out for metadata, a lot of things. Even the product is kind of could use work and blur seems to have that energy a gem really had that energy for a minute it was doing like when they were showing in-flight transactions you know even like mempool you in the ui there is creativity that's exciting in in this building a better product yeah. in this space in terms of what the next three months look like and to jacob's question like how long is temporary for the zero percent my hunch is that temporary is a lot longer than people think like i i don't think it's like a two week or one to two month thing, unless something unpredictable happens to me, when you're charging fees in a product, like there, there's a reason for that. Either you have a monopoly and you're the only solution uh, in crypto, you could be winning on application, like product feature set on the front end, or you could be winning from uh, an on-chain network effect. So until either competitor establishes one of those things, I think it is a race to the bottom or since it's already at zero, 
stays at the bottom for a long time. So um, the two options there for either person are one, build a better front end that has features, even if they're just client side that are worth paying for. For example, hey man, uh, seeing those in-flight transactions, it's actually saving me gas money. So I'm willing to pay a little bit of extra fees for, for that feature. Or you establish an on-chain network effect. You know, Uniswap doesn't have fees, but if you were to point to like a DEX use case, there's actually liquidity network effects. I'm getting the most efficient pricing on whatever the dominant DEX is because they have the most liquidity. And so I'm, I'm actually willing to maybe pay a small fee on top of that as long as net-net it's still below the slippage I'd be paying on the next protocol uh, over adjacent to me. So to me, like, you either have to evolve your protocol to get on-chain network effects or you have to build a, a front-end that's, that's worth paying for. Yeah, and maybe Blur actually has the best shot there right now because they've got growing TBL for that, um, that bids feature where they're actually, I think they're like $80 million worth of ETH in that contract. That's, you know, it's, it's not even a race to zero. It's negative zero technically because Blur is incentivizing it. But at least they have right. some sense of on-chain liquidity that, as far as I know, I know OpenSea has collection offers, but they're not kind of accruing a single store of ETH on-chain that is like geared towards that feature. Yeah, that's a great point. If you're Blur right now, what, what's the product you need to make next? You've just owned OpenSea at their own game by using the holes they left in so that they could be the ones to charge a fee against them. Now you have options. Season two, I feel like season one was the, a big payout and then it, it created the myth that season two will be able to be a cheapskate about. Like, they don't need... People are excited about it now. They want the next airdrop. So they, there's already attention to... You don't need to make promises. People are already desiring to farm this token. Use the marketplace. It's got a better UI. What do they build next? I think I mentioned it a bit earlier. They need to cover up the 11.55 part of the market because that's currently a, a missing piece of, of the market right now. You can't trade any 11.55 on Blur. That probably be yeah. the immediate one on the secondary market. Art 11.55. Well. I mean, like pro feature. There's a, there's a kind of like cover your base case features, like optimize the whole site for mobile. Work with 11.55s, and then there's maybe like the pro slash like worth paying for features, which I could see. Um, uh, I don't know, maybe a lot of stuff you would already see on like a pro decks or, or wallet uh, being integrated. Maybe even delegation or something, some security features built in. It's more like a wallet. It's like a on-chain wallet for you somehow. They, they were doing the like, you give them ETH and you can bid from it or something. They built their own ETH style bidding. It could be that. Or if, it's, if this is like analogous to kind of like the Coinbase Binance battle back of, you know, 2018, you know, they start heading into even more heavy financialized products where it's like maybe they figure out how to offer margin trading and get extra leverage. And options are all sorts of like, you know, further trader heavy financial products on the market. There, there was a time like nine months ago where it felt like OpenSea's vision of like Disney, Walmart, America being OpenSea users. OpenSea is the next Facebook or, or something where it did seem like, oh, that's going to be the biggest part of the market. But right now, it seems like Blur's energy is coming from like winning on price, basically, but in, in a kind of dark mode default uh, aesthetic. Like, it's not trying to be like co partnered with Nike necessarily, although they, they might well do it. <laughs> yeah, I didn't come back to that UX thing I was mentioning. which And the, I think that metrics still show this, where there's a very small number of traders that drive a huge amount of the volume. So although OpenSea has many more traders every day than... Blur, Blur is winning the 
the like top end of the market, like like kind of the institutional equivalent of the market. And that feels like the big fork in the road where maybe if you're in open seats seat, it's like, well, maybe we actually don't want to head towards the the speculator trader use case. We actually want to see what it looks like to push more onto the the consumer uh, side of the spectrum. But yeah, I, I kind of the first time I used Blur, I found it quite difficult to use and I felt like um the pro language was coming through in like aesthetic and vibes, but not actually usability. And it's improved on that front pretty significantly since the the launch day. But I'm actually curious if I'm actually curious what would happen to their usage if they um, offered like an alternate theme that basically looked like Gem or Genie. And uh, I wonder if everything is just price. Everybody just wants the best price. And maybe the pro people would pick that theme. But if they also offered like a really basic looking genie clone theme, if uh, if their usage would go up or down. I had, I had with the idea question. being like maybe it would actually go up and the, the the pro UI didn't matter as much as like the pro UX and like price elements. It's interesting what you, you point to pro. Like we're just accepting this terminology that it's pro. It, de- it definitely did feel more alive and like certain data, uh, like the right. uh, bid volume, like the depth of how, or how, list, listing depth graph was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, Amazon competes on price, right? Like everyone uses Amazon because of the price, not because of the UI. It has good search, I guess, somewhat. Yeah, right. right. Or, or like if there was an Amazon Pro competitor and they had a dark theme UI, but worse prices. Would yeah, uh, to pay five hundred dollars a year? Yeah, right, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder. I actually like wonder if. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Whatever. Like, pro- like, once they become really mature markets, like yeah, we get so ten kinds of soap from the same four companies in, in whatever lifestyle they like chart out for us or whatever in a PowerPoint. So I could see many. I don't know. There's also like reservoir. There's. That's what I was about to say. The, a- the API actually feels like an, another interesting surface area for both, which has been an area that I think OpenSea has historically been quite restrictive on opening up their API to other markets. And I, I don't think Blur's API is completely live yet. I know they've got like an intake form for it. But that, that feels like a really important dimension in winning you know, or expanding market share. Now it's like, how do you actually start to enable more of those third-party marketplaces? And that's where obviously Reservoir is sitting squarely in that realm right now. So yeah, <laughs> maybe Blur or OpenSea go for Reservoir in the next couple months to just cover that off or they just try and build it themselves or fix whatever issues they have on their own side. I had, a, I had one I'm question. curious to hear from other like people here just if you have um, thoughts between the kind of on-chain value capture versus off, or like front-end off-chain value capture. Like Jacob, I know you obviously with the hyperstructures piece. But I think like an uh, interesting pushback to the idea there that Wilson Cusack has talked a lot about and written about recently is like fee- fees that add value or like fees that make the protocol better. And uh, I kind of wonder like, I think I would be asking myself if I were in Blur's position if I wanted to focus on doubling down on client-side features and like, liveness slash access to pricing. And with the idea that I'm, I'm going to compete on product and win there and eventually I'll be so good at it that uh, users will pay. Even as a portion of volume, maybe that's still possible. 
Or if, you know, I start to see tens, hundreds of millions of dollars locked up in the Blur contract, I've now start, started to get some on-chain liquidity moat or network effect. Do I try to double down on that piece and find a way to uh, capture value, but in a way that maybe makes my, my protocol even stronger? I feel like that is um, a really fundamental decision that most crypto companies have, have to make. Um, and it's been interesting to watch different crypto unicorns over the past few years choose one way or the other or like try to split the difference on both and kind of, in my opinion, that, that's a tough thing to do. So you're saying, I'm thinking because you're saying front end, charging in the front end versus, and like maybe Seaport is kind of like that, right? OpenSea was charging in the front end, basically. And mm-hmm. got ganked, <laughs> pretty much. A right, better product yeah. now exists. The, the ver- OpenSea plus for no fees at the same time exists elsewhere. And it forces their hand to like kill their entire revenue stream. Their entire like their whole business, whole OpenSea business until now is now zero. And for for me, it's forever. I, they're never going back to that. They'll have to charge for something else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, I think like um, maybe someone else can provide a stronger example for me. Uh, I'll play pretend for a minute and just say like, imagine that Uniswap turned on like a 0.1% fee across all pools. Like they could, I think they would have a decent shot at defending that and just being fine and maintaining all of their market share. Because someone wouldn't just have to undercut them by that 0.1% to beat them. They would also have to beat them on the price you would pay from slippage. And that means they would have to find a way to get the liquidity, the LPs, to migrate from Uniswap to whatever their new DEX was. And that, that's hard to do because there, there is like an on-chain moat there. Or, or you can take... So that, that, imagine that business existed. There's actually like on-chain value capture. It's not happening on the front end. It's happening like in the protocol. And, and the reason you're paying it is for benefits happening in the protocol versus something like OpenSea Seaport. You're paying at the client level. Fees are not baked into the protocol. And there, there really isn't an on-chain moat in that protocol. There's some network effects in terms of like order standardization, configurability. You know, more people are... You know, if you're spinning up a new marketplace today, you might as well like fork Seaport or deploy a version or just create your own zone or whatever. But... But what you're paying for there is actually something that's not in the protocol. It's the UI plus the liquidity that's listed on that UI, etc. So if you're, yeah, you're right. Like so, OpenSea like kind of abandons that today, and uh, I think both of these companies have a choice to do, double down on front end and find a way to charge fees that happen outside the protocol, or try to like build an on-chain network effect that's worth charging for, and may, maybe like. Way harder to figure out how to do that, but way more defensible if you can do it. Yeah, I think that's right. We haven't really seen anyone crack that code at the protocol level for the NFT market yet. The closest we probably have is like ENS as one example, and then Nouns is another. But in terms of actual marketplaces capturing protocol level fees, that yeah, it's almost lived exclusively at the platform level. And the, so, so, the, the protocol piece is just a, a, a commodity with almost zero network effect. Yeah, like imagine you attached... So, so Blur has like their contract, like their Blur pool or whatever, right? So like when you place a collection offer, like you deposit your ETH into that contract and then like it sets the offer or whatever. I actually don't know the protocol that well, so correct me if I'm, I'm wrong there, but imagine like... There's an off-chain order. So you deposit it into a contract and then you can, you can place off-chain orders using the ETH in that contract. So yeah, 
as long as that's like loosely correct, you can imagine Blur being like, you know what? Uh, we're going to build some kind of like yield farming service. Like we're actually going to take all the money in that contract and like passively lend out some of it. And so like, hey, while you have collection offers on Blur, you are actually earning yield. And uh, <laughs> now there's like more, more reason for people to have a collection offer on Blur because you're actually like making use of the capital. And so you start to establish an e- even stronger liquidity moat there, which means better prices for buyers because there's always more collection offers. And like maybe you can create some kind of self-perpetuating uh, loop there. Maybe the thing you get for whatever, maybe they basically like automate the airdrop with like the inflation of the token where you just directly say like value of collection offers you have that are like within 20% of the floor times time you have them there equals number of tokens you get as a percentage of inflation every month. That's like the primary way to own blah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be be cool to just like make that deterministic and transparent and just put it all on chain and and double down on on that piece. Although, of course, you may also want to um, create value for the token in some form other than just vote on the fees. Like, uh, I don't know, have, have other ideas there. So you, you talked about earning money either in the like th- there's a kind of the best business model for open source software is to have a network effect like a, an LP where moving the liquidity makes it hard to is a moat like the, the challenge of moving the liquidity is a moat. But there's also this question of like, they're also operating kind of we've been talking a lot about secondary secondary everything's secondary is so much bigger. But at the end of the day, there are other like dimensions of network effects, like say um, safe, Gnosis safe. The, there are things that, regardless of like the the standardization and the the frequency of use of a protocol, can make it transcendently resonate through projects that, even though they can displace them in some ways, they have to adhere to some notions we have about how things work or, or what's what is safe i've worked with many projects who treat safe as infrastructure like like it's not a contract i wanted to touch yeah on i think idea. um oh. i don't know if wilson's still here but i feel like he has interesting interesting thoughts on this like i guess that one interesting thing about safe slash seaport as opposed to something like uniswap is that like the network effect is around the the implementation of the contract versus the instance of the contract. So like more and more safes get created. Like safe is like the dominant like multi-sig wallet. But like every time you deploy one, you're just like deploying another instance. So there's like many instances. Uh, and they're not really all like connected together in, in some way versus like the Uniswap pool. It's like one instance for that pair at least that everyone is using. Or I think Wilson uses the term like actor protocol. Like the protocol itself is an actor and uh, like the, the instance itself is like where I, I guess that's all I mean when I say like on-chain network effect is that th- there are many forms of network effects, but I, I like think maybe the thing that's like not been seen frequently enough in crypto is an on-chain network effect in the form of like the specific instance of the contract, not, um, not just like developer uh, networks or like expectations. Yeah, I, I think you have something there, uh, John, because I, I, I uh, when Blur announced its bid contract, 
you know, OpenSea forbids they use, you give OpenSea C4 permission to access your ETH, but as you mentioned, Blur, yeah, Blur, you you deposit ETH into their bid contract. And Blur has talked about this many times as TVL, total value locked, which doesn't always make, didn't make sense to me as first for like an NFT protocol, why you'd be talking about TVL when you're not gaining yield or anything like that. But maybe this is a, Maybe that's why, you know, like uh, you, like now we can actually see them getting yield. I think that's very interesting. I also had one quick question, and it's totally fine if you can't answer this, Jacob. But one thing that did happen today is OpenSea did modify who was on the operator filter, uh, like via Corey, I guess, you know, removing Blur from the list. I'm curious, is there like a process? Because I know Zora is a part of Corey. Is there a process like where they say, hey, we're considering removing someone or is that just kind of like, you know, is that just kind of like something they decide unilaterally? And if you don't want to comment, I totally understand that too. I believe there's some process around it. I'm not fully up to speed on it. Tyson, our CTO, is actually better to talk to you about that. But basically, like the the way Corium emerged was trying to get that operator filter registry into a similar position as the royalty registry which was the royalty registry was like a really great initiative that, that kind of like unified a bunch of competing marketplaces around both 2981 royalty standards and unlocking backwards compatibility with contracts that were created before it. And I think for OpenSea was listed on that, on the royalty registry, but never got around to implementing it, which is interesting for a whole bunch of reasons that you mentioned. Um, but uh yeah, so I think Corey is being set up as an effort to try and like go like, hey, this is a pretty large and powerful piece of protocol that has a lot of downstream impacts on a lot of creators' NFTs. Let's try and get that into like an industry-controlled multi-sig, but it's still very early, frankly, in that process. And you know, everything's been moving and changing in the past six or seven weeks, and it's largely OpenSea-driven. So, yeah, that's kind of like the current state of it. How do you think about? I know you've been spending a lot of time on. Well, my impression is on Nouns Builder uh, or Builder is the product. What's the f- name now? Nouns Builder. That's is what it's called. Yeah. Nouns, Nouns yeah. Builder. Okay. 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 How do you think of? Or I don't know if 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 because I the other dimension I was going to say before is that there's like primary and secondary, and mm-hmm. in some ways OpenSea has had a big role in primary uh, over over the time, but Manifold and Zora and I don't know what else other people are using, honestly, like some combination of some chat GPT contracts everyone's putting out, I assume. Actually, Mint.Fun must know. What is everyone using for contracts? <laughs> I think it's like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but from just anecdotally, it's, it seems roughly like it's Manifold, Zora, and then like C-Drop. And I'm kind of going in order of like... C-Drop? I've never heard of C-Drop. I'm going in order of like not number of contracts, but like volume of primary sales. And then, like, a long tail of everything else. Is C-Drop OpenSea? Yes. OpenSea has its own protocol sort of way of doing primary drops. Is it new or is it the old shitty shared contract? It's it's a new thing. It's a new thing, yeah. So, like, you can can basically conform to the C-Drop protocol in your NFT contract. And then OpenSea can, like, sell your NFTs for you, like, on a primary level. Yeah, it's a new thing. They, it's not very public yet, but they have partners. Like on Valentine's Day, they did a drop with uh, Haritos and another like uh, Web3 native brand. Yeah, it, it, it kind of lags behind the other ones. Anyways, I didn't mean to interrupt, but yeah, it's 
I would say Manifold, Zora, C-Drop are like the big platforms involved right now. And also Bueno art. I see a lot of Bueno projects, but I'd be curious to like get the the hard numbers on this too because I don't have it like, bueno readily available. What is that? Bueno is like a, yeah, they kind of help you. I, I'm not super familiar with their platform. So they, they help you like make your generative art projects and launch on t- chain. They're generally uh, 721s uh, hosted on IPFS. Yeah. Cool. I'm checking it out right now. Yeah. Okay. It seems like you can, I think it's like a, ge- yeah, Bueno generator. So it's like generative collection minting tool, which is so hard to design. It's so hard to, I, actually, I haven't played with the Nounce Builder one for doing the, there's an SVG like module, right? And that can even be swapped out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you, there's a simple drag and drop tool where you just upload your JPEGs or PNGs. And then if you want to put it on chain, then either you you can do, you can create your own custom metadata renderer or um, yeah, just upload it. There's like a thing where, cause you, you can like download a folder and put like more sophisticated quantities mm-hmm. of properties, right? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I feel like you had a, a question brewing around the primary market and how that fits in. Uh, yeah, well, because I think that maybe we started talking about this before, but like OpenSea could go very consumer. Like, I don't know, the whole narrative around Polygon, whatever, like so many things are driven by the narrative of consumer is the next thing. And of course, the next billion people, whatever. Whereas Blur, I think it could evolve into that. I think it has a good shot because it has a, a money engine but or something. But Blur seems to be more... I mean, Blur seems to be more like... Like, how many people do you really think are trading NFTs? Like, it's it's not a big number on Ethereum. I, I assume it's like... A, I always... I'm undershooting it, but like the really active people, I don't know, 10,000 people or something? Maybe 100,000 people? Yeah, it's something like that. So it's like um, a very small I see audience. John's got, John's got his hand up. So I kind of open the floor for him. I have to run. Uh, thank you so much for hosting me and uh, having this discussion, Nicholas. Hope you, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for telling us the whole story, man. This is, uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. Let's do another one. And John, go ahead. Yeah, just, just one other question. Coming back to the creator royalty piece, especially for people here involved more with creators and mints would just be if the whole point here started with royalties and whether or not to pay them or creator fees or whatever, and now um, both marketplaces have gone to a point where they're super low, I am curious what people would recommend on primary for people creating new art projects or otherwise via NFTs. And if um, if you all see the norm becoming just reserving a percentage of total supply as opposed to setting up a royalty contract or even like what you, Jacob, or anyone else working with more artists, like what you even recommend people do at this point. Yeah, I'd say that's the new default just reserve supply and then, you know, no one can kind of take that away from you. And then I think what Nicholas is starting to get at is like, what are just like fundamentally new models in the primary market that are available to, to creators and, and communities. And like, maybe that actually is like more of a systemic shift away from the secondary. And you, I think you could point to the nouns model as at least one of a few options that seem interesting there given that it's a perpetual primary market that's running every day. And then the royalties that go to the creators of that project are taken in the form of an NFT every 10 days. And that's kind of like flipped the volume that we see on the secondary 
for traditional kind of like 10k PFP projects where it's you know 0.5% or 1% primary for the initial mint or some cases like basis points um, on the primary mint and then it's all secondary to now flipping it where the the majority of the market is actually on chain in the primary market and the secondary plays a much smaller role and actually has 0% royalties by default because the royalties are captured in the NFT piece on chain. So I think like we're starting to see, a, you know, there's been a lot of just kind of like uh, education and discovery and experimentation around the nouns model generally. And I think we've tried to make that easy for people to create their own projects using that same model with the nouns builder. But I think that there will be undoubtedly be other models and a lot of experimentation in the current, in the coming months on, you know, primary market and setting up your own creative contracts, just generally, given that it seems the secondary market will no longer have uh, royalties for the foreseeable future. So yeah, I think holding back supply is like one answer. I think the nouns model is another answer. I'm sure I'm sure there'll be a lot more that kind of come up and get played around with, given the changes. Yo, Chris, go for it. How's it going, man? Hey, what's up? Yeah, I, I wanted to build on something you said. You guys said earlier. Um, so, like, Blur isn't multi-chain, correct? It's only on Ethereum, right? I mean, implementation detail. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm curious, like. I mean, I know it's in their roadmap to like go multi-chain, but I wonder sort of what that is, like what that's all about. And then OpenSea is multi-chain, like very multi-chain. I think it's like even on Solana. That's just something that like popped into my head. And then also this this idea of like Blur really is just really fast and responsive. And I think that like, I'm curious if you guys think OpenSea can get that fast, like at the size they are now. Is it even possible for them to be that responsive? For sure. For and sure. The, There's a lot of Facebook yeah. uh, front-end devs looking for work right now. They could just write a new front-end entirely. I don't know if... It's, it's felt so far like they've just been hanging on because it's been such an insane growth curve that it's. It, I'm even impressed at what they do. Like, even, you know, I, I couldn't do better than them. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I'm not even saying it's bad. It, it's kind of different. It's a different UX too. Like Fresh start, yeah. But uh, and then I, the, another thing that popped in my head was like, so do you think that maybe either of these companies might like start uh, cannibalizing stuff from pseudo swap? Like uh, John was talking about, like LPs, like that could be like a, a totally huge thing if uh, either of them started to get into that. Like I could see Blur having like I don't know, like NFTX or pseudo swap type pools of NFTs or things like that. But that was pretty much it. <laughs> Those are just some like things that popped in my head. Yeah, I think it does make sense, especially because it's like they're winning right now because the majority of the volume is between a very small number of addresses. And those addresses, like you can have the majority of the volume or the fees that you can generate is from savvy customers. So this pro moniker that we've associated with them is where all the money, where all the money is. And then they just yeah. grow from there. So it makes perfect sense that those kinds of motivated people would want to optimize by yield farming, uh, you know, in, in addition to doing what they're doing. It seems very scary to me personally, but <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how much I want to send my NFTs to vaults that are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Luna. Like, I don't know. <laughs> And and I mean, I was even surprised that um, that Blur didn't have staking for the token, 
just like basic staking and then also like or if not staking like discount like maybe if you hold blur then you can like I don't know get less fees or something like that I'm surprised that the token was just like straight up a token but yeah I don't know totally they did, in the in the thread where they announced it they they're very vague about what the purpose of the token is it's like yeah yeah I think that's a lot of legal stuff too <laughs> part of that but I yeah guess so I guess so but it's like it almost feels like okay so why then like there's no reason why you're dro- why you're dropping it it has no purpose <laughs> yeah i mean governance for sure a token is a very malleable tool i think it's kind of okay like exactly what chris is saying the idea that like oh you know what if we want like you know discord nitro like you know blur nitro if you hold this many tokens and you whatever you lock them up or something then you don't have to pay the the 0.5% create a royalty because guess what? The Blur Treasury uh, donates a certain amount of the tokens to a creator fund or whatever. Like You can easily add that later. And I think it's like totally okay to start a project with a token. I mean, usually provided it doesn't float and you don't airdrop it and stuff, even when your plans for it are still malleable. It's like like going on a camping trip with a knife or something. It's like, (laughs) I don't know what I'm going to do with this knife, but there's a lot of different stuff I could do with it and it's going to be a useful tool. And a token... Like is literally just an ownership table, and you can write contracts later that read into that ownership table and change behavior based on uh, ownership levels. So I think it's kind of cool and smart to to have a token with with no plan as long as you're uh, agile, and it seems like they are. So kind of think it's pretty smart. We didn't really finish the the thought earlier, but like primary does seem like something where is a natural direction to expand also. I mean, just just even featured collections or, you know, maybe you hold a token or I don't know, they do partnerships, whatever, just to like start to do more of that uh, promotional element using the the real estate they have. They could, do you mean OpenSea or, uh, or Blur or both? Blur, OpenSea has always been kind of ham-fisted about creation, yeah. even though it has been very, very popular. And they were kind of happy to give it to Manifold to whatever extent that they have. But Blur doesn't do any of that. And it seems to me like some like mint.fun kind of features or, uh, you know, like basically trending. <laughs> trending yeah, is I huge. Mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I feel like it's like a UI thing with Blur. Like if Blur just had like, like flavors of UI and one was like, here's foundation and you can like, it has the speed of Blur, but you can look at all the cool art in like a nice way. Um, I feel like that's like, kind of what it's missing. Like it feels so tradery that like you don't really enjoy the imagery. Like you have to click in like it I'm always amazed at like how to like get to like a collection. I have to like do like gymnastics on like clicking the like text of what the project is in blur to be able to like see it, to just open it. And it's uh it's really silly. But um yeah, I think that if they made like a an artist's focused like theme or scheme of like blur, then I think that would be really popular. A lot of people would probably bring a lot of people in uh, and sort of be like reverse engineering what OpenSea's kind of process has been. Okay, so we've got a few ideas about what the product, what the next thing can be. So yield, yield farming opportunities on the basis of the value of the NFTs, maybe staking the blur token to get pro features in the UI for free or reduce fees. 
or maybe some minting, either minting tools seems less likely, more likely trending discoverability uh, that catches the eye of the creators and the creators start to try and create against because it's it's eyeballs. I think focusing on one user group for a long time is smart. And so I would say, you know, I think all these options are valid. But if it were me, if you dropped me into the founder role there for a simulated, uh, whatever, simulated decision or something, I would... That would be a great game, wouldn't it? No one's working on that. They should do VR for that. Fuck. Exactly. Pac-Man for an hour. Uh, I would definitely double down on the current user, which seems to be the trader. They probably don't even care about the art. They care about the prices, adding more features that <laughs> let you access faster liquidity, better prices, lower fees. Maybe that's a cynical view, but that does seem like the person who's gravitating Well, toward. okay, but what about making hits? They could be making hits. They could be like making them, like Mint.Fun, I presume, makes them. You mean like, you mean like in the creation of a new collection? No, well, they don't need to be. You can create it on Manifold. They don't care about that. You just need to be trying to sell it on Blur, um, like targeting the audience of people who are looking at Blur, minting new primary sales or yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. Say. I think I think that's totally relevant to the to the same user group, but I don't think minting tools, as in like deploying new collections, would be would be relevant. Totally. But maybe, but maybe the social ability there of like seeing what top traders are doing in a visual way, or like being able to fo- maybe they just added that with their list. I haven't even like explored that thing, but yeah, just like more more messaging, more following type stuff. Right now, it's like very solo. They seem to be very good at writing software, yeah, and uh, their designs are often very sticky. Yeah. So. Yeah. Also, it's not it's not mobile ready. They need to just make it for mobile. <laughs> like I think that's like a huge, huge thing. All right. Well, I guess we've been talking for a while. Should we it's call dinner it? time for me, so I got to hop anyway. But yeah, this was a uh, Nicholas. Thanks for putting this together on short notice. And thanks, Joel. Worm story was was awesome. All right. Thanks, John. Thanks, uh, Chris. Thanks everyone for coming through. Peace out. See you next time. <laughs> Blur pones open sea. <laughs>